0: So many of you know that in June I had open heart surgery. And uh, it was originally going to be in March and uh, it got put off. And uh, I had so many people praying for me in March that kept praying for me <laughs> as, uh, as I had the surgery later. just want to thank all of you for your faithfulness and for, for really having a part in my recovery. And uh, I'm standing here because of God's faithfulness and as I have benefited from prayer I would add my uh, admonition my encouragement that we all pray for Aaron for Aaron and Lindsay (laughs) that's truly a devastating loss so pray for them Uh, we have a promise of comfort for those who mourn and so pray for comfort and also for the Edmonds and the Taylor families. Um, so we're finishing up the book of Joshua today. I have the last two chapters, 23 and 24. I'm not going to do a verse-by-verse explanation or exposition or else we'd be here for <laughs> until next week. Um, but it's at the end of Joshua's life, and they have... They have conquered many nations of the land, of the Canaanites, but there are still nations that remain to be conquered. And so this is Joshua's appeal to the people. He knows that his time on earth is drawing to a close, and so he's making an appeal to Israel to stay faithful, to keep the focus, and finish the job, so to speak. Uh, So I have borrowed in Joshua 24, uh, he has this thing he says, he tells the people of Israel, um, you are not able to serve the Lord. And so that's the title of my sermon. You can wonder at that for a little bit. Um, and looking at Joshua 23 and 24 today, we will see Joshua making a strong appeal to the nation of Israel to cling to and obey the Lord. There to trust Him fully, to live under His words, because they have all come true. Not one of God's good, good words to Israel have um, failed. They've all come through. And so he gives them a first-person exhortation from God in chapter 24 to understand their history as God delivering them over and over again in a variety of different ways from a number of challenges. And then Joshua delivers the most well-known passage in his book to summarize, summarize and finish up his exhortation to Israel. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. To which the people reply, essentially, yeah, us too. God delivered us from Egypt, preserved our lives wherever we went, and drove out the Amorites from before us. We will serve, uh, he is our God, and we will serve the Lord. And here's what I want you to hold in your minds. And again, the title of my sermon, Joshua's reply to them. You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. So I want, I want you to spend some time thinking about what is Joshua's point. <laughs> it's not really an encouraging message at this point. Um, what's he trying to communicate? And uh, hopefully by the end we'll have a better idea. Uh, so let's begin by reading most of these two chapters. I'm going to skip some things just because of their length. But we'll be reading most of Joshua 23 and 24. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well-advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well-advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the Great Sea in the West. The Lord your God will push them back, the nations that remain, from before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be strong to keep and do All that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations, remaining among them, and they with you know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all, all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you, All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. And then in chapter 24 it's the same setting that Joshua is addressing on a different occasion all the heads of the tribes of Israel and and God gives them through Joshua kind of a a summary of their um, their history to this point. So then skipping over to verse 13 chapter 24 I gave you, a, it was not your sword or by your bow that I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes, To serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in this land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve other gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. And he said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you, And incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. After these things, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountains of Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your words. Lord, thank you for uh, redemptive history, Lord, and for the Old Testament that makes clear so many things about who you are and how you work, and Lord, what you were, you were working to establish in the Old Testament that culminated in Christ, our Lord, becoming a man, Lord, to dwell among us and to be our Savior. Lord, I ask that you'd be with us this morning, Lord, that you would take um, my words, take your words, Lord, and um, just interpret them to your people to bring grace. Lord, in understanding to our lives that you would be glorified in us. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. So, in chapter 23, just to summarize, God has given rest to Israel from all their enemies. Joshua is now old and advanced in years, and he summoned them, and he reminds them, you have seen with your own eyes how much God has done for you. Uh, because God is fighting for you, and the nations that remain, God will thrust them out from before you, but you must be very firm to do all that is written in the scroll of the law so that you won't turn to the left or to the right or go in among the nations to join yourself to them. That's what you, sh- that's what you can't do, you guys. God is the one fighting for you. You're living in him is how you have had success. So that's how it's going to keep going. Um, now, there's a one of the things that struck me a long time ago about Joshua. And I, as I noticed that in Deuteronomy 32 and Joshua 1, there's a, a ton of times, several times, where God, where Joshua is given this command, be strong and courageous. It kind of reminds me, if you saw Cinderella, that Kenneth Branagh did about five years ago, just before Cinderella's <laughs> mother died, she says... Be kind and have courage. Now, being kind is appropriate for Cinderella. In the movie, it shows how difficult that is to be kind and have courage. Uh, But Joshua is going to lead these people in conquering. So he has to be strong and have courage. Um, Anyway, so as Joshua, as Moses is talking in Deuteronomy 32, he tells Moses one time, be strong and and courageous. But God tells Joshua four times through Joshua, uh, Deuteronomy 31 and Joshua 1 to be strong and courageous. And then uh, even at the end of, of Joshua 1, the people that Brian preached about last week, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh come to Joshua and say, be strong and courageous. So it's at least like six times within two chapters that Joshua... He 's told that, and um, there 's reasons for why, god, why Joshua is being told to have strong to be strong and courageous. One, this is a land that God has sworn to give to israel this is god 's promise it 's on the line it 's god 's promise to Israel I, that He will put them in possession of the land of Canaan, uh, but Joshua is How? So Joshua, Joshua has tremendous responsibility uh, in the Lord to to actually accomplish what God has said that He would do. So um, so I, I, so it's like God is like telling Joshua, "This is how," and uh, then God also promises to be with Joshua. So I I chose one verse, Deuteronomy thirty-one twenty-three, as kind of representative of all the verses. They all are a little bit different, but they all, this contains most of what they said. And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land I swore to give them. I will be with you. Now this also reminds me, we should kind of relate to this because we have a great commission and a promise from God that he will be with us. Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen: all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, this is Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Israel has uh, quite a job in front of them, many nations, bigger than they are, many much larger armies. They ha- they're going to have to fight and defeat to take possession of the land. Uh, and the promise God gives Joshua is, I will be with you. But we have a big commission too, to take the gospel to the nations and to teach them, to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we have the same promise. I will be with, um, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And that, that really says a lot about the kind of faith that we have and the kind of God that we have. It's not about um, just being strong in our own strength and our own might. Jesus is with us. And so there's a difference in what we have to bring to the world. We don't go in our own strength. We don't go for our own glory, but we go in partnership with Christ. To bring the peoples in that he is seeking to, uh, that he is bringing into his kingdom. So I want to look at one example of uh, when Joshua, well, you can kind of understand why the command was given to Joshua to be strong and courageous, because he's not either one. This is after Ai, the defeated Ai, and uh, it's uh, they, the, the elders of Israel look at Ai and say, it's a small town two or three thousand people and they go and they're defeated and 36 people die so in Joshua 7, 6 through 13 it says then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening he and the elders of Israel and they put dust on their heads and Joshua said alas, O Lord God why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? So I think this is repentance, but it also sounds a lot like whining. And uh, I love the tone, the words and the tone how God responds to Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before the enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more, Unless you destroy the devoted things from among you, get up. How's that for sympathy? <laughs> but this is, this is the kind of exhortation to be, this is Joshua. It's, the call here isn't for Joshua to repent. The call for him is to deal with the sin. The call for him is to be strong and have courage to keep going forward, to believe. In this case, having courage means having faith. It means believing God, that God has not changed. Um, And there's one more verse, one more passage. It really has a lot to do with um, who God is and how he's dealing with Israel. It's from Exodus 33, verses 7 through 11. But it also touches on who Joshua is. And so I'm going to read this whole passage. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp Far from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And whoever sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at the door of his tent and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the Lord would speak with, with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So there's a lot of things happening here. Moses has this unique relationship with God, speaks to God face to face as a man would speak to another man. And then the people, when they see the, 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 the cloud come and, and stand at the tent of meeting, they would, also, uh, they would also worship in their own tents. So there was a sense in which Moses' example was discipling the children of Israel to walk with the Lord, to worship the Lord themselves. And then it says, this passage is finishes, and it says, when Moses turned again to the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of man, Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So Joshua understood that walking with God wasn't just about obeying commands. It was about knowing Him. It was about waiting in His presence, listening to Him. There was a a full-bodied relationship that I think that Joshua understood. Uh, So then, continuing, Joshua talking to the children of Israel, he says, you must cling to Yahweh as you have done, Take heed to your souls. Love Yahweh, your God. Take heed to your souls. Love the Lord, your God. But if you cling instead to these nations, then God will stop fighting for you and you will perish off this good land. You yourselves know that not a single word has failed of God's good promises to you. It has all come to pass And just as the good things came to pass, so will the bad things if you uh, turn your backs on God and you will perish quickly off the land he has given you. So again, your job, Israel, is to cling and to keep clinging to the Lord your God. Be very strong to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, not turning aside to the right or left, not mixing with the other nations. Um, Your only safe place is to wholeheartedly love God Following him, knowing him, and pursuing him, because obedience—and this is this is not Moses. <laughs> this is me talking to us. Because obedience and faith are choices that we make based on what we love and what we believe. That's really where the rub comes in. You can't be half-hearted in any of this, and the way you walk with the Lord, you can't be partway in. You can't. It's not one foot here and one foot there. It's like you're all in on the Lord. Um. In your heart and mind, you might know that God is your best hope, that the only way to keep winning your battles is that God continues to fight for you. But God knows when your heart has been turned away to someone or something else. He's a holy God. He knows. It does, just like that Santa Claus, you know, it's like he knows you're going to get bad or good. So it doesn't matter what that thing is uh, that turns you away from the Lord. We are made and designed in such a way that our whole lives are meant to be about God. Look at Genesis 1. We were made, we were designed in God's image for relationship with him. There is nothing more basic to being human than walking in relationship with God. That's what we were designed for. Um, uh, So we were made and designed in such a way that our whole lives are to be about God, to be lived with him and built around knowing him. The challenge is coming both from God's absolute holiness and our pervasive sinfulness. These are challenges. God will not compromise who he is. He will not stop in any sense of being God Almighty. And our sin um, is so, it affects every part of our lives, how we think, what we do, what we value. And so these, these create challenges, as you might expect. So, Joshua reminds them of God's words and promises. Remember that they've all come true. And the direct implication of this exhortation is that if you study God's words and take them to heart, then God will help you to live under them. God is our hope. So, then going to moving on to chapter 24, in a similar way, Joshua calls together all the elders and heads of Israel, and they're there. So he continues his exhortation. And, um, but I want to take a minute just to dwell... The, he starts his recounting of Israel's history with talking about Abraham. And uh, I want us to look at a question this morning. How did Abraham walk with God? And um, at the time, at this time, and it's still true largely today in many ways, but the, the common way to relate to a God... And remember, there's only one true God. So these are not true gods that we're talking about. But the common way was to, to find out what they, how, to propitiate them, how to propitiate them, how to make them happy. There was something every god wanted. The god of your nation, the god of the next nation had certain things that they required. And when you did those things, then you put that god in your debt, and that god was supposed to move on your behalf, and um, so it wasn't the idea of a holy, sovereign God, but sort of a, a relationship, of, a symbiotic relationship between the God and his people. But Abraham walked with the one true God like he really was the one true God. He did not try to man- manipulate him. He did not try to, to make him do what he wanted um, So Abraham truly honored God as God. And when Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, this was Abraham truly laying down his own life for the Lord. There was nothing more important to Abraham than his son. But he was willing before God to to, um, slay Isaac because that's what God asked him to do. And Genesis 23, 10 through 12 is the the picture. And it's always, uh, to me, it's so powerful when I read about Abraham being there with Isaac on the altar. And then it says, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for i know that you fear i know for now i know that you fear god seeing that you not you have not withheld your son your only son from me so at the heart of our relationship uh, the beginning of our faith is abraham and he has this relationship with god that that is a model of what ours is, will, will someday be can be when christ comes and redeems us all as he uh, when Christ work on the cross, we, we can all have this kind of relationship with God. And so it was, uh, this was new. Uh, what God had done with Abraham, he desired to establish in all the earth. Uh, the, the, the Abraham, the, the commitment to Abraham, the covenant with Abraham was to uh, begin the plan of redemption that Israel became a nation. Then there was prophets and they had a history. And then eventually Christ comes through them, and so all this begins with Abraham. So his it's uh, it, it's really I think instructive to look at Abraham's life. Um, so then this recitation of Israel's history and God's blessing is is a big deal because in God's plan, eventually Jesus Christ, God the Son, was born to the Virgin Mary. The eternal Word became a man so that He could truly and legitimately represent us. Uh, Jesus Christ, uh, God in the flesh, uh, took our sin, became a man to take our sin on Himself and reconcile us to the Father in all and fulfillment of all that the Old Testament pointed to. So, this again, this is something to understand in the way that Israel, why it was so important to God that Israel not mix with the other nations. He had a plan. <laughs> And they had the the plan required them to be holy, required them to be set apart, required them to live out His purposes. So it wasn't just them vying for dominance with other people; it was it was really ultimately about Christ. Okay, so uh, at the end of the history, the recounting of the history that uh, Joshua does. Then quoting God, he said, "'It was not by your sword or bow "'that I gave you a land on which you had not labored "'and cities that you had not built, "'and you dwell in them. "'You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards "'that you do not plant, that you did not plant. "'And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, "'choose this day whom you will serve, "'whether the gods your fathers served "'in the region beyond the river "'or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell.'" But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then again, Israel, we too will serve the Lord who brought our fathers up out of Egypt who also fought for us and drove all these great nations out before us and preserved our lives wherever we went. We will serve him. But Joshua, now we come to the heart of it. Joshua says to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. Implied here is he will know and he will care when your hearts turn away from him. Uh, Joshua knew also, along with John Calvin, that the human heart is an idol-producing factory. And idolatry extends beyond the worship of idols and images and false gods. Our modern idols are just as powerful and much more varied than, than the ones of the Old Testament. Uh, pride, self-centeredness, greed... Gluttony, a love of possessions, rebellion against God, money, success, popularity, beauty, pornography, health, education, comfort, an orderly home, nice clothes, telling every dollar where to go. (laughs) So all these things maybe are not bad things, but when you make something that's good, ultimate, then it becomes an idol because there's only one ultimate in all all of creation and that's the Lord God. Rosaria Butterfield said, Butterfield has this great quote, one very difficult aspect of sin is that my sin never feels like sin to me. My sin feels like life to me, plain and simple. My heart is an idol factory And my mind is an excuse-making factory. I think we all, that finds probably all of us. So God in these two chapters is actively following his plan of redemption that will someday culminate in Christ. But God has taken the necessary steps to get there, and one of them is establishing Israel as a nation. God wants Israel to pursue him, to know him, to love him, and trust him. God knows if he can cap- capture Israel's heart, they can truly represent him to the rest of the earth. And I believe this is what Joshua is aiming at when he tells the Israelites they are not able to serve the Lord, that, that they will not su- succeed by trying hard. The first thing to understand is that Yahweh alone is, is Lord. Um, we are not. We have no peace of his lordship except to serve and worship him. They are winning battles by trusting and following God. Yes, they are to be strong and courageous, but God himself is their true way forward. God is showing them, teaching them, that they win or prosper by staying in him. And I want us to look at a passage from Romans 9.30 through Romans 10.4, which touches on all of this. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is And then it kind of continues in the same um, vein in Romans 10, the very next part. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, they care about God. They have a zeal, a, a passion for God, but it's not... It's not aimed in the right direction. It's not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God or the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So I believe that Joshua understood this tendency to use the law as a means of righteousness where uh, they could trust in their own strength And power, and that this is going to be a problem from the very start of Israel's history as a nation. And it's still a live problem today for us. It's not just theirs. For when we put our hopes and confidence in how well we're doing and our own faithfulness and diligence, then we set ourselves up to become um, for pride and to become our own hope. There is only one true champion in all of heaven and earth. The Lord Jesus Christ who died in our place on the cross and both won our salvation and gave it to us as a gift. When we labor under the belief that we can win our battles by trying hard and being sincere, we are deceiving ourselves and landing us uh, in the middle of Romans 9, pursuing a law that leads to righteousness but never arriving because salvation that we have in Christ is a gift and can only be a gift. Mark 10, 15 says, Truly I say to you, whoever does, does not receive the kingdom of, a, of God like a child shall not enter it. How does a child receive the kingdom of God? How does a child receive anything? With delight. Not going like, well, I deserve that. <laughs> it's a gift, and they rejoice in the gift. Um. In Christ, God has given us his greatest treasure and delivered a salvation that does not compromise or diminish his glory or holiness. In other words, Christ has justly delivered to us a salvation that is undimmed, uncompromised, brings us the full God in his whole holiness because of the cross. Um, you could never earn that kind of salvation if salvation was something that we could earn, it would be sullied. It would something of us in it. It wouldn't be perfect. It wouldn't be absolutely holy like it is. Um, so live like a child who rejoices in who, and rests upon the goodness and grace of a father who loves them without measure, who desires that we trust him and that we give him the glory that he is due. He is a hope that does not disappoint us or fail. Um, again let's pray with me